And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is Nerd She Wrote with your host Dave Dufour with Mo DeKeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Hartnow. Hello and welcome again. This is attempt number two to record this morning's show. Welcome to the Athletic NBA Show. I'm Dave Dufour here with Mo DeKeel and Seth Hartnow. This is Nerder. She wrote. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing great, Dave. I'm, Just like I'm I sorry, was I, 20 minutes ago when you so asked the first juice. time. <laughs> we had so much juice to start the show. And uh, unfortunately, the Wi-Fi uh, let us down here a little bit. But we, we woke up this morning, guys. We had big news. Big fake news, I think. A little bit of post-trade deadline I don't know what we call this, guys. Are we are we clearing out the notebooks? Are we dropping yeah, the rumors is, that won't matter in a couple months? This is actually my favorite thing post-trade deadline. Is the deals that almost happened or these teams were talking and this was something that was possible and like all the different inter- iterations that we might get. It's the, uh, we should probably just call it the almost Danny trade like uh, the, conversation. Danny, Danny almost season. Danny, Danny almost. almost yeah. Danny, how we switch things. The Danny almost uh, conversations like these are actually the fun ones because you kind of also get some like hints and nuggets out of these things and stuff to kind of watch for in the future. We're of course referring to reporting from ESPN that LeBron James. Oh, I thought we were talking about Cal Kuzma. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the Kuzma thing is funny. I, I will get to the Kuzma thing. But uh, reports from ESPN that the Warriors were kicking the tires on a potential LeBron James trade. And, I mean, we got as far as Draymond Green putting in phone calls. That's Again, amazing. to get LeBron. Um, Was he crying in the parking lot? I don't know. You know, it's funny. I actually, look, there's a lot of ways that LeBron James fits with the Golden State Warriors. I was talking about this ahead of the deadline. I think this would be the one of the crazier trades that, that could have happened, obviously. You get Steph and LeBron playing together. This is the two best players of the current era, you know, over the last 10 years. Uh, Seth, you're raising your hand. Why the hell would LA? Never mind. It's I'm like logic I don't know, brain man. Listen, why like, would what, LA? I, if yeah. you were getting Kuminga and some picks, I don't know. I mean, it's. I mean, you're getting you're getting Clay and uh, free agency and 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 probably off money and whatnot. Look, this wasn't a thing LA entertained. Like, yeah. let's just just tell the story, Dave. Like, explain it for the listeners who haven't read it, and then let's do our thing. I mean, look. I mean, the Warriors, and this is this is just. Due diligence. This happens a lot. Uh, the Warriors put in the calls and they were immediately rebuffed by Rob Polinka and the Lakers, as they should have been, because LeBron is the best player on the Lakers. I mean, you're not giving your guy up for nothing. And and they're gonna make the play in. Right? This is not the season's not over. They were a play-in team last year and made the conference finals. I, I think that when you've got LeBron, you've got AD, you've got a shot. But guys, is I, I, this a little I, bit of I, I, the, the they also completely <laughs> remade their team at the deadline last year and did not this year. So like, well, they did it last year. Um, thing things things done changed from a year ago, and so let's I, you know let me just pump the brakes on that. Please continue, continue. But is so this they brought maybe? back the same team that made the conference finals last year? <laughs> just trying to just trying to drive yeah. Seth nuts. Sorry, ah, it's sorry, fluky. Uh, but but is this maybe, guys? I mean, you know we. We know how the PR stuff works in this business. Is, is this a trial balloon for a potential LeBron to the Warriors this summer? No. 
and I, I'm sorry, like I'm going to poo-poo all that stuff. Like the one thing I think you buried kind of the lead there in this is that the way this went down, went owner to owner conversation with Lacob calling Jeannie Buss and Jeannie Buss saying, we have no intentions of trading LeBron unless LeBron wants to be traded. Go talk to Rich Paul, which like kind of commend her in the sense of like, hey, we'll give our if he really doesn't want to be here, we don't want him kind of attitude and the Lakers knew they weren't going to make any moves at the deadline at this point. Uh, I think the uh, interesting thing, and this is the bigger thing is LeBron said, no, they weren't, you know, Draymond Green texting his agent, Rich Paul asking, what's the story with this? Can we, you know, we want him. And, and they're just saying, no, he's not going to be traded. This is probably why Rich Paul tweeted out. LeBron will not be traded. I think there's a, um, I think that's kind of a sign to me of like, no man, LeBron's staying here. And I think, to be honest, I think they have a better chance to retool this offseason than the Warriors do. And I think that's something that'd be more interesting there. And I think that's that's kind of the that's the lead to me in this story. Isn't that the Warriors tried this? Is that the Le- Le- LeBron said, no, nah, I don't I don't want to join it. I mean, I, I agree with you. And I, I wonder how much of that is LeBron is staying here versus LeBron is looking at what that roster looks like after they've traded for him. And it's like, mm, I'm probably better off here. I like, it's not necessarily I'm staying. It's just, I ain't going there. Well, maybe he also doesn't want to permanently play center. So, you know, <laughs> going to Golden State, it's like, <laughs> no, buddy, everyone gets some center minutes here. Uh, and we, again, we got more post-trade deadline sort of just news coming out um, more than just LeBron. And, and that is, I look, Due diligence. You got to call and ask. I mean, he puts out the emoji. Might as well call and ask. Uh, but in Atlanta, they wound up doing nothing. And story comes out today, Howard Beck had this over at the Ringer, that that San Antonio was kicking the tires on Trey Young. And Mo, we had heard that they were potentially interested in bringing back DeJounte Murray as well. I mean, I, I guess I get this. You, you want a point guard for Wemby. But I don't think, and you know, I know how you feel, Trey, that's not the right guy. Oh, it's a terrible. No, man. That's how you've ruined Wemby, man. Like, you know, and this isn't a shot at Trey. Trey's not the type of point guard that's going to work with Wemby because the problem with Trey Young is, and this is, this is my, my real thought with, with him is that, yo, he, he's going to go to that team and think he's the number one guy. He's the number one option. I want the ball in Wemby's hands way more than any point guard that they get. I want the point guard to kind of be able to compliment Wemby, not so much have Wemby compliment the point guard. And I think that's what happens, or that's what Trey Young is going to be thinking when he gets there. Trey Young is perfectly suited to be the Kyrie Irving to LeBron James on the Cavs. Like, that's kind of the situation there. And I think that's the more interesting thing. I think that you're probably, that's a better situation for him. I don't know where that might be. But I don't. I would just be really disappointed if San Antonio turns and goes gets Trey Young. I've heard it from a couple people thinking that Trey Young is going to be a good decision for him. That's dudes that play NBA 2K way too much. I mean, listen. Out of the two, I think Seth, we we probably. I, I think Dejounte is a cleaner fit, right, for most teams, just because he can do more stuff. But uh, so, I mean, I think that's the it's 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 neither the above. And I think a player who's probably closer to maybe not at this point, but a year or two ago, a player who's who's probably on a similar overall level with Trey, but a better fit would be like a Drew Holiday type player. Like that's that's who you, you know, has the defense, has some offensive ability, is not going to be a guy who you're basically turning uh, uh, Wemby into just, you know, catch the ball off lobs and 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 kickouts because he can do so much more than that uh and i don't think you're getting the best out of him if you're if you're trying to pair him with a sort of a a really truly ball dominant player like trey like a luca or something like that well i and uh, another part of this article by, by howard beck i recommend everybody go read it it's great reporting but it seems like there's a decision to make in atlanta that I wasn't anticipating them them making uh, so early. And it seems like it's going to be Trey or DeJounte or neither. Which which way would you guys lean? So it's a decision that they should make. 
I think there's an open question, uh, given the sort of turmoil that we've seen in that front office, whether their decision is going to not be to not make a decision and just sort of inertia this thing. Because we've definitely I mean, we've definitely seen franchises run aground just by doing that, just by not being able to being being so afraid of making the wrong choice that they make no choice, which is actually making a choice. And I think that's you, you didn't phrase that as one of the options, but I think that we do have to factor in like, you know, a, a, a franchise that uh, from the outside, at least it seems, does not have the strongest, most unified leadership. Um, that's always a possibility of just not being able to get out of their own way. I mean, one other option you forgot, Dave, is trade both. Like, you know, that's there's it. here's the thing. They kind of screwed up with the DeJounte Murray trade. Everybody got hyped up with the Murray trade. I wasn't all that enthused. But I think the other thing, though, that was problematic about the trade, they gave up two first-round picks, and I believe they're both unprotected to San Antonio. That's a problem, man. <laughs> like, that's hard in that situation, you know? And, and I think that's part of the reason why everybody keeps trying to send somebody from Atlanta to San Antonio so they can get those picks back. And if I'm <laughs> San Antonio, I'm not trading those picks. Like, I'm not. You know, Seth alluding to there being problems in terms of uh, who's in charge sort of situation there. It's it's kind of confusing with what they have there. They're kind of just very meh right now. I think they've gone a kind of a weird route in terms of how they would put the uh, how they put this team together. DeAndre Hunter's finally playing better. But we've also seen them do exactly what Seth's talking about in terms of just Let's not make a decision and let kind of inertia take its place. And that happened with John Collins and they ended up trading him for two second round picks, right? Like they're, they need to, they need to chart a course. They need to figure out who's running the show. They need to fit. And then from there, plot a course and go and no matter what, whatever it is, I don't know if it's trade Murray or trade Trey or trade both or keep both or whatnot. But all I know is they're just going in a circle right now and they have no idea where they're going. Are, are they a little trapped by the play-in? You know, I mean, it, it feels like in the East, you could just be, I mean, you could tread water and make the play-in. And, I mean, the Hawks are likely to make the play I mean, Trey Young and DeJounte Murray are good enough players that in the East, they're going to they're gonna be able to get the ninth or 10th seed, uh, no matter who I think you've got around them. Like, they're just good enough for that. But they're not good enough to get you anything past that. So, like, is Atlanta trapped a little bit, you guys think, by, by this – I don't think it's those two aren't good enough. I think it's their lot with those two. They are locked in largely to what they have. And because, uh, I mean, frankly, I think we're probably all a little disappointed with the development of DeAndre Hunter and uh, Nico Kongwu is still a guy who is is probably more potential than, than actuality. We've talked about Jalen Johnson being the, the, the bright spot on that team this year. But that still only gets you so far, and you're you know you're asset poor, and your your cap sheet is what it is. So um, it's not just that those two aren't quote unquote good enough; it's that you just don't have any mechanisms to get better. Yeah, and I, it's really this again, and that's where those picks that they trade away hurts yep. you in those in those situations and that type of stuff you know the one thing we kind of we we, we do forget a little bit yo they took boston to six games last year in the playoffs and came really close to forcing a game seven like it's they are not a fun team sometimes to play against you know and and trey's actually having one of his better seasons you know kind of i like the way he's playing off the ball and things like that He's trying defensively, but, you know, it is what it is there. I just think they've put themselves in a very awkward position with the moves they've made. And I felt like like that DeJounte Murray trade was like them trying to fast forward the timeline when I didn't think they had to fast forward the timeline and to give up, you know, what they did hurt them and hurt their future building of things. And I think that's kind of the situation. And Murray was just never a good fit with Trey Young. Like, honestly, they needed to find the next Clay Thompson. That's honestly what they needed. And, and like, yeah, he might not exist, but that's what they need next to Trey Young. And they don't have that. And I think they thought maybe Murray could be that. And that's not who he is. He's not that type he, of shooter. They're, Kevin they're not Herter the first team. gotten a little bit of a, a chance there, I think. Kevin Herter could have, could have at least uh, from a archetype standpoint, I think, uh, could have 
could have been really good next to Trey. Uh, go ahead, Seth. Sorry. No, they're they're. I'm just I'm saying they're not the first team that has sort of um, been standing next to the right team to make to find their way to the to the conference uh, finals, and and you know oh we're we're right there. I mean I think we see it probably about every other year that a team is a surprising team makes it that and and really them making it is them being solid and going up against a quote unquote better team that kind of implodes. I mean, I think, you know, that Sixers team certainly, I mean, enough has been, you know, that the, 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 uh, of Ben Simmons not shooting a layup and them starting off every fourth quarter playing Dwight Howard for four minutes and giving up 12, three runs every start of every fourth quarter well, in, that, in those games. Okay. And, and a similar thing happened when Dallas made like, right. that was more about Phoenix, like combusting than, than it may have been, you know, they were there and they were solid and Luke was good enough to take advantage but that that is it that we always talk about teams that make the conference finals without necessarily being a conference finals level team. Yeah. Um, and, and then finally, uh, we mentioned Kyle Kuzma. Apparently, the Mavs had a deal in place for Kyle Kuzma. And Kyle Kuzma was given the option to, you know, accept the trade or not by the Wizards, which is which is funny. Okay. He said no. He said his timeline doesn't match up for a championship. Now, I actually think Kuzma might just be happy being a 25-a-night guy on a 20-win team versus a 12-a-night guy on a 50-win team. And that's fine. There's more money in that uh, if you're Kyle Kuzma. But I I think Dallas did okay not getting Kuzma. I like P.J. Washington for them. I like Daniel Gafford for them. You see the vision immediately. It's 48 minutes of, you know, uh, I think – vertical spacing for Luka Doncic at the center position now. So, I mean, are are the Mavericks going to miss Kuzma, you think? Or do you feel like they did okay? I, I like what they did uh, better than if they had traded for Kuzma. I still don't love what they did. I think we, we talked about it a little bit last week, like the downside risk that they are taking with with for the, the pick that went to Charlotte for uh, for Washington and then the pick swap they had to engineer with OKC to get the pick for um, – uh, for Gafford, I think they've exposed themselves to a lot of downside risk um, in in you know three four years down the road for pretty marginal upgrades. I mean, they've looked great since, but I mean, this happens every year. Team comes out of the trade deadline, wins two or three in a row, has a has a like has a, a good win or two over good teams, and we flip out, and then they kind of revert to the baseline. And like we've seen who the Mavs have been this year, and I don't really feel like those trades are paradigm shifts for them. Do you, do you guys No, And, and there was no, and neither was Kuzma, right? Yeah. Like trading for Kuzma wouldn't have changed really their, their, their future in the long term of the uh, view of the Mavs. But I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to me on the Kuzma side, you know, cause that makes me wonder like, okay, like, what do you want to be in that sense? You know, and Dave, if you're right, like that's pretty disappointing. You know, if he likes being the 25-point scorer on a bad team for the rest of his career, cool, but that sucks because I think the guy's got more potential. He could definitely help contenders. He can help, help you know, teams go pretty far in the playoffs, maybe not the Mavs, but, like, there are places where he could fit in that stuff. But if this is where he wants to kind of be, like, okay, but also if I'm Washington, do I really want that? Like, that's the other aspect of it. I just think it's a weird weird situation there i'm a bit surprised he said no to it um washington is, must is, feel is, pretty is, good about getting a couple of picks for him this summer that's the only thing i can think is that they feel like they're going to have more teams maybe bidding for kuzma because he is a good player he can defend on the wing he can he can shoot he can I, really I, shoot and he will shoot late in games i mean this is a good this is a championship piece in my opinion I love the timeline. Don't match up though. Like that's on. funny. I, yeah, yeah. That's it's like, what, like, what are so you? I, I think, I mean, you know, the 25 game uh, point, a game score on a, on a bad team. I mean, he did already get paid. I mean, he's under contract he did. more years after this year. So, I mean, if he's really thinking down the road to, to, you know, summer of, of 27 or whatever. All right. That's, that's interesting. But I, the other aspect of it is, I mean, we've heard about Dallas sort of struggling to draw, free agents and that's been for that's been the case since before Luca but you do wonder if if other players perceive Luca as a the guy they want to play with like uh, players of a certain level like 
I think that, you know, the pure role players can see how he can elevate them and maybe, it, but a player above that level is like, this guy's got the ball 60% of the time. Hey, Kyrie's I mean, looks like, really good next to him. And I was Kyrie's, say, is Kyrie's doing ball dominant as it gets. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would I think, say that. Well, I think, I don't think that's right. I think Kyrie has, I think that, that like, that we have we have issues with Kyrie. I think Kyrie's ability to, when he is, you know, playing in and in, in sort of locked in, he has been a guy who can play with other good players. Sure. Like, you, you were talking about the, you know, uh, the, the uh, Trey Young being a second, yeah. second banana. Uh, I, like Kyrie was is is much better, a much more active, much more viable off ball player. Will move off the ball, will spot up, will will get off the ball and 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 do other things. Will offensive rebound at times, um, and and so I think he is uh, like if, if he's perhaps slightly underrated in terms of his ability to fit. I think where the the some of the questions about him with with in terms of meshing with other stars has been on the other end of the floor. I think. Given that you kind of he's he's a occasional defender as well, yeah, occasional. That's yes, um, nice way to put it. Okay, so that that's the end of trade season officially. We're done, right? No more rumors. Danny Ainge didn't almost make any trades that we know of. He made I think a that's trade. It. I mean, right? He didn't. <laughs> he, made, any. He, he made a couple good trades, like we talked about it last week. Like he he showcased the hell out of Simone Fontecchio, and it's. Dude. Yeah. Um, and got a first Very round well. pick for Kelly Olenek. Like good. And, Danny, and Bryce Danny did. might get some, some chance to play down the stretch, uh, which I'm very excited about. So we don't normally do the whole ref thing guys, but <sighs> we have a controversy that I think is worth talking about. Um, more in like the role of the refs, the, the Knicks, have filed a protest with the NBA to dispute their loss to the Rockets on Monday night. And if, in case you didn't see it, which, you know, if you, if you're following the NBA, I don't know how you didn't. They're so mad about this call that they've added more uh, counts to their suit against the Raptors. (laughs) No, no, roll your eyes at it. I'm, I'm, I'm with them on the protest, but go ahead. Yeah. It's a good protest. I mean, listen, the scores tied at 103 to 103 Rockets have the ball. Aaron holiday takes a, a wild shot. And Jalen Brunson makes a little bit of contact well after the shot has left uh, Holiday's hands. I mean, it doesn't affect the shot. It, it's a, it's a, to me, a no-brainer, no-call, play on, we're going to overtime. And it's such a no-brainer call that immediately after the game, our own Fred Katz is the pool reporter. He asked the referees for clear, to clarify this call, and they immediately admit it was wrong. The league said it was wrong. And so the Knicks are going to file a protest. Now, I don't know if they're going to replay an overtime or how they figure this out. Um, the, the How they work it out, I don't, I don't know. We're not going to get into the particulars. But that should be the yeah. end of it. I'm sorry. That's it. This should be the end of it because, like, this is how it should work. Okay. It was a bad call. We thought it was a bad call. We see why the call was made. And, like, like Brunson does deserve a little bit because why are you jumping at the body of a guy taking that shot? But that's neither – like, it shouldn't have been called. The ref's like, we screwed that up. Oops. It happened. That's so much better than a lot of the BS we usually get about why this call was actually right because X, Y, and Z. The call was missed. You, you took a regular season L. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But if you're the yeah. Knicks, this f- matters. And there goes the uh... – <laughs> oh, zero podcasts <laughs> zero podcasts where i haven't uh, been able to, to it just slipped but yeah. the uh um when you look at the eastern conference standings like if i'm the knicks you know what it's their job to protest this let's try to make sure we get this this is not a meaningless game there are two games behind milwaukee for the third seed three games behind cleveland for the two seed yeah if i'm new york i want to get out of that fourth seed because then i avoid boston altogether till maybe the conference finals like this is something that they have to go and if everybody's saying it's wrong and i was on top of it from the beginning saying this is a bad call and i disagree with you seth when you say jalen brunson shouldn't be lunging at him the game is on the line it is a tied ball game the dude's shooting a shot he, he contested it and affected the shot 
and, and then had contact afterwards. Honestly, like you got to go at him. You can't just give him a clean look at the end of regulation like that when it's a tied ball game. It would have been different if they were up two or something like that or, or up three or whatever. But like, I just think it's one of those things like, yeah, it's kind of risky, but you have to you have to make a play. You can't just stand there and watch the guy take a potential game. I, winner. I, I don't disagree with that. It's just it's I, I'm, I'm you know, the, it's it's more of of uh, I think it was you. If you're executing your your contest so that, like, co- somewhat contemporaneously with the release of the shot, you're making body contact. You're putting yourself in that position. I thought so, he was closing out to the shoulder and was going to fly by in that sense. And yeah. I think it's the shooter that really initiates more of the contact than than anything else in all of that. Like, that's my view of it. So I didn't feel like it was that wild. But let's just get to the two things that I think are really important. One, good on Ed Malloy. Just being yeah. candid in the pool, the the pool report, just saying, yo, we screwed up. Good on him with that because we get it too many times from refs. We get it too much, like you said, bullshit in the uh, uh, two-minute reports and all that stuff. Like, I'm good with that. And I'm fine if the league says, hey, man, you took an L. You, you got screwed. Sorry. Like, we have no mechan- mechanism in which we can go send both teams to go play an overtime game. In Houston, like we don't have meet up, meet up in the Indian, in the Indianapolis airport. And, and, right. And yeah. Like <laughs> just, you just don't have that mechanism for that. So like it's, 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 they don't play again. They don't play. Obviously they don't play in Houston again. It's, it's like, I understand if the league says like, we have no way to remedy this. You just, you got screwed. End of the yeah. deal. Teams get screwed all the time. Happens with all that stuff. But the other thing that I think is very important, and this is a larger picture and the conversation I think we want to have is what is the role of the refs? And I, we've talked about this a long time ago, you know, maybe sometime last season. I don't want them to call everything. I want them to manage the game and the flow of the game and keep it going in that sense. And I think that's the larger picture. I think we lose with these refs and I think we lose it with reviews and challenges and replays and everything with that. We got to let them manage the game and their jobs to kind of be the gatekeepers of flow. I completely agree with that. And I think I want to add something that when we say we're like, when we say refs, I I actually am a little uncomfortable. It, It reminds me a little bit of, uh, we've talked, I've had, I've traveled a lot this year and I've had some, some kind of nightmarish travel stuck incidents and you see people go and yell at the gate agent. And it's just like, that's not that, you know, in, in this case, like, I don't think this is a, uh, the call may have been wrong and may require training. And if the same official keeps missing calls, then you'd remedy that. But this is a a management issue, not an individual referee performance issue, because the refs are calling the game the way they are incentivized to call the game. And so I think we need to be really clear that this is much more of a rules and interpretation issue than it is you refs, you suck. And 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 I think that I, I, I because I think when we get into the latter and personalize it, then we start to get into these things. Well, that this team is only two and six when this guy and we get some like the BS you know, conspiracy stuff, which is only going to get worse the more we fold gambling into this, by the way. But that's not what it is. It's a missed call. It's not yeah. a vendetta. It's not like, you know, there's a call earlier in the game where we discussed where like Dylan Brooks got what you guys thought was a questionable blocking call on Jalen Brunson. And and like you're asking me to believe there's a conspiracy that favors Dylan Brooks over Jalen Brunson and the refs are like, come on. So it's not it's let's depersonalize it and treat it as the systemic issue that it is. I have I have now referees with just your whole thing with the vendetta. Like I have referees going into games kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Commando putting on the the, the, the face masks up and loading up and like we're going to war. (laughs) It's like the scene, you know, the scene from The Godfather where they're all prepping for to go to the mattresses at the funeral and. Yeah, but it's the ref. That's pretty good. I I just think the default can't be the whistle. You know, like the default can't be the whistle. And I will give them credit because I do think this season they've done a better job on marginal contact of waiting to see the result of the shot before blowing the whistle. And that is honest. That's an honest way to officiate a basketball game. It's marginal contact. If it goes in, we'll let it go. That's how we would call it. I mean, again, I think Pickup is not everything, but it also helps like that we all played pickup and that's sort of how we relate, 
you know, when we're watching this game, I just think that spirit of the game matters much more than the particulars of the rules. And I want to see these guys officiate thinking about the spirit and flow of the game, just like Mo said. The other thing is the review. I want to get to the review. Steph Curry hit a game-winning three the other night that was incredible. And the end of that game, we had a five-minute long review that just killed the buzz and momentum of the finish of that game. Like, can we just care a little bit about like what people feel about the games versus getting every single thing direct? Ah. I might it's, have been it, I might have it, been too excited off of that Curry thing because I don't remember the review at all. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> For five minutes. Imagine LeBron with him. This, this, there's a lot of, I mean, the NBA is a big complex like organization or, or, or ecosystem, but there's a lot of things where it's, it's kind of people like doing local maximizing, optimizing, like a, a, a micro thing without really any, any thought on, on how it's affecting the larger thing. Like, okay, you see people, people, the most important thing is to get the call, right? No, the most important thing is that the game is fair and those aren't those overlap in most cases, but not completely. And it's it's fair and entertaining. And, you know, if you can and even the people who say the most important thing to get the call right and I don't care how long it takes are lying to you because, all right, why are we not reviewing every out of bounds call in the first quarter of the game? Most important thing is to get it right. Well, the game would slow down and stop it would suck. Yes, exactly. And I think we've drawn the line in sort of the wrong places there. Um, I think, you know, replay when it came in was for quick objective things. Is his foot on the line? Well, it, out of bounds, three-pointer, stuff like that. Once we start getting into, like, reviewing judgment calls. Intent. It, we're, yeah. We're then it's trying like, to judge intent. Yeah. Like, if you're going to do that, like, for, for, like, the purpose of – sorry, Mo. But if we're going to do that for the purpose of, like, adjudicating a suspension afterwards, great. But – you know, the, Ooh, was there a windup? Was there, it's like, it's too keep, much. It, keep ruins it, moving. Flow, it ruins the flow of the game. Like, here's the thing. I watched a, a Cleveland game the other day and there were four straight possessions. I can't remember who they were playing uh, four straight possessions in a row. It was Philly is the game. I think they lost to Philly. It's four straight possessions in a row. Foul, foul, questionable call, questionable call, review, call overturned. Right? Like that was, it was four just stoppages of play with the ball going back and forth just four times. And it's it's the flow of the game I'm worried about. It's also the other thing, too, and this is the, the other issue I have, and Seth kind of alluded to it with the Dylan Brooks call. Offensive players, all they got to do is run into a defender and throw it up, and they're getting to the free throw line 70%. Did I just make up that number? Sure, it's probably higher. Um, it's it's I think it's along those lines, though, of like we're not even allowing teams to defend. Like it's, it's getting mm -hmm. ridiculous. There was a play a few weeks ago, Jimmy Butler drives in against Washington and Denny Advia looks like he's straight up and maybe it's a little bit forward or whatever. Butler creates all the contact, gets a big AM one right there. And it's just like, yo, like what's he supposed to do? Just let him go. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and then get sit on the bench. Like I don't, we've taken defense out where I, I just wish we would work a little more with the officiating one, manage the game better, create kind of a flow of it going back and forth a little bit better and call the fouls when it's actually something that really makes it impossible for this guy to get a shot off. You know what the, you know what the perfect example of sort of what I was talking about earlier about local Maxima is, is like the landing space foul. Like, I think like nobody wants to see like the situation where a guy like hockey stops under a guy's foot. Like, I don't know, Zaza Pachulia or something like that. Uh, um, but so many of these, like, how do you guard a guy taking a step back? Does he get, he gets, he, like, by virtue of him stepping back and then jumping forward to generate momentum, he creates like a, like a, like a, uh, a street fighter style force wave in front of himself that you can't enter or else it's a, you risk a flagrant foul. Like, how does that make any sense? I, like, I, the, the great part, like, un, like, yes, we want to protect landing space, but you can't just jump up. I'm in the air. You can't touch me. You wouldn't hit a guy with glasses, would you? <laughs> I might, but uh, yeah. I, I just think, look, no blood, no foul. That's what we need to do. But as always with the, the reviews and stuff, you just, you're being pedantic about stuff that just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Uh, you just got to move on, right? Controversy 
also creates cash. Shout out to Eric Bischoff. And having a missed call that people are talking about is not the worst thing for you if you're a league that wants eyeballs. Now, it doesn't mean you want to be wrong all the time, but God, perfect is the enemy of good enough. If we called a hold in every play in football, like if we called every holding call, man, we'd never get a game in. We'd never get a play in. Like, it's all that stuff. So it's just like, man, they just got to learn to let some of this stuff go. And by the way, the players got to stop complaining for it all, too. They got to stop crying for all this stuff. This goes both ways with all of that stuff. It's just I wish there was a better flow with all of these things. And maybe one day we'll get it. But, you know, going to be a while. Yeah. But we, I mean, we have to, I think we have to get away from, and I'm going to blame Mark Cuban for this because we do, like he has a long history of complaining about the refs and sort of in response to that, the league's way of evaluating refs is like every call is either right or wrong. And so much of basketball is gray area. And it's like, hey, I could have been like, as a 50-50, didn't get called this time. Like if you're really scoring the game and then we wanted to see, all right, on 50-50 calls, this team has gotten 52 and not gotten 48. They're doing a little well. That's that's within the realm of acceptable. Oh, this team is like 35-65 against. Okay, maybe maybe we need to take a look at how we're refing them and and you know figure out a way to make that more equitable. But in but you get in a situation where every call is either right or wrong. And then you get in a situation where it becomes like, instead of uh, constructive adversarial, it's like you were wrong. No, we were right. And, and, and it never gets better from that. Yeah. Uh, I think we need to talk about some actual basketball guys. Uh, the yes, top please. of the West right now. <laughs> hey, you know, this is just, we got to clean things up a little bit. We had a great Chris Mullen interview on hoops adjacent yesterday. So, you know, we got to catch up here at the athletic NBA show, but I think the top of the West is worth taking a closer look at. Uh, did you guys catch Clippers and Wolves the other night? Yes. Very good game. Very good game. The Wolves look scary. I mean, we've all jumped on the Clippers bandwagon, but the Wolves look scary against that Clippers team. Law Murray did a great job of breaking it down. All the things that the Wolves really did well to put pressure on the Clippers and, and kind of highlight some of their weaknesses. But this, this week, I mean, Denver – OKC, I mean, they're playing in some some marquee matchups, the top four in the West. How are things looking for you guys right now? Like, is this are, are they are they as neck and neck as they feel? I I think so. I think this is an incredibly tight finish here between the top four in the West. You know, and I think there's a like that game you're talking about, the Clippers Wolves game was huge because you know, and and I didn't know this till I read Law Murray's piece. In the athletic, the Clippers had beaten every team in the Western Conference at least once this season, except Minnesota. And Minnesota came out in the third quarter and smacked the Clippers in L.A. Like that was an impressive win for them in a way where it really I have a lot of doubts about them in terms of being a conference finalist and all that, even getting to the finals. But that made me stood, stand up and take attention, pay attention. One day I'll get the words right. Uh, that will, that that got my attention in a way where I said, "What?" Like, I I've kind of did the patting them on the head deal. Good, you're number one, all that stuff. That got my attention. That was a very impressive win. And I think each night these four teams, anytime they match up, we're getting some stuff here where this is like really throwing it down. This is home court advantage is going to be huge for all four teams. I think it, the uh, I, I think that. Minnesota versus both the Clippers and the Thunder is fascinating because of how those strengths and weaknesses of those teams match up. You know, the the obviously the 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 uh, Wolves with the with wanting to play big all the time, and those other other two teams wanting to play small all the time. And so, I think you can get some real night to night swings in terms of of whether the the speed or the size happens to be dominant on a particular night based on the particular flow of a game. So I think that that makes a, a playoff series, uh, you know, among that group, uh, really fascinating, I think. A potential and, playoff series, I should say. And none of these teams really made any big changes at the deadline. Um, Monty Morris, uh, the Wolves picked him up, and, man, that solidifies their bench. They need a guy who can come in and not turn the ball over. So that's kind of a perfect pickup for them. So these teams have 
you know, they've been building chemistry up all year. This is not a, a situation like we had with the clip, uh, excuse me, with the Lakers last year where or the Clippers Pulse, anytime the last or the Clippers. <laughs> yes. Where everyone's a bunch of strangers going in, you know, and, and again, I think we were all ahead on Minnesota uh, by a year. This is kind of what we thought they were going to be able to do last year, but Anthony Edwards and the leap that he's taken and in particular, the end of games, Mo, there might not be a guy that is scarier with the ball in his hands at the top of the key. Nikola Jokic aside, inside the last four minutes, when Anthony Edwards has it, he's putting his head down and he goes to the basket every single time. That sort of pressure on opposing defenses late in game, I mean, that's that's playoff basketball. That's what they're prepping for right now. I'm not fully there with you. On that, I think uh, there's a lot of other guys I'd be afraid of as well. Who have well I don't know, man. Anthony Edwards, dude. No, nah, like there's bull. a lot of guys. But, like, I get what you're saying in terms of he just puts his head down and drive and things like that. But we've also seen it kind of – this is a team I don't trust in terms of smarts. Okay? We've seen him take over at the end of games, and we've seen them also blow up at the end of games. Like, there's still a lot of stuff where questions where we still got to kind of see them do it. And I think we saw some of this there. I think it might be a year early for him come playoff time to be that guy like I, that's going to be the biggest question for the wolves come playoffs is is edwards that guy right now or does he still he will be that guy he might need some more seasoning with with some of that stuff but he'll be that guy i don't have a question about that in the future i don't know if it's that this year and i think that's kind of the stuff there but you're right in the sense of like he does attack like he does go hard into the pain and stuff like that sometimes i think it's a little bit out of control so I, I, I guess my, my, oh. real quick, we we trust Jokic, right? Agreed. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> we trust. I mean, he's like best crunch yeah. time player maybe in recent memory. We trust Kawhi down the stretch of games, like we've seen it before. Yep. Do you guys trust Shea? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. I'm just trying to. I'm just testing the I water mean, here. I want to see where we're at as far as who we trust. And who I don't. We don't I don't trust. not trust trust Shay. it's just we as a as sort of a high leverage playoff guy we just have not we have no evidence basically yeah early, but, i mean early results though i mean he doesn't turn the ball over which is yep. crucial, right he does he gets shots up and then i think the way that he and and jalen williams play together down the stretch is more of like a it's a batman and batman situation than a batman and robin situation oh, no now Who's, hear me out jalen williams is, is a, there no, but he's will. Shea is willing to let Jalen Williams take the ball when the defensive pressure comes. So they actually, it's a two-headed sort of attack down the. So sure, I, I think that there's a there's a player comparison to sort of what how Jalen Williams does in those scenarios, which is like a player who's not as good as the star, but because of their sort of versatility and and physical stature, Jalen Williams does it a little different ways. Is Chris Middleton with the Bucks a couple of years ago, where a lot of the Bucks late game stuff did rely on on Middleton's ability to get to spots and kind of make tough shots and use his frame. Now, Will Jalen Williams isn't as isn't as long as as Chris Middleton, but he's he's like he has the advantage of being, you know, very a very physical kind of uh strength based player. So I think that's now I still would rather have the ball in Shea's hands, but well, it's yes. not a bad second well, second option. Right. But that's that's the thing is end of games. It's going to be in Shea's hands in the playoffs. And and I think that's the stuff that, listen, there's a lot of stuff to love about the Thunder. It's entirely different when they get to the playoffs. And that's the whole deal there. And I think that's going to be the thing that they're going to have to figure out. That's why I don't trust them. Like in that sense of, you know, I, I still we talked about it last week. I have a lot of doubts about them. You know, in terms of just playing just five out and we're just going to drive everybody to death and that's how we're going to win playoff series like that might work in the first round, but I don't think it will in the second round. And I think there's going to be a lot of challenges for them in that sense. Like, I don't trust Shea. I don't trust Edwards yet. And, and it's because what Seth said, got to see them do it and to see him do it regularly. Like, you know, like the other two teams also, like when you look at Denver, I trust Murray. You know, I trust I trust Michael Malone to put them in the right spots and to put them in good positions. I trust a Paul George. I don't trust James. I thought you were about to say James right. Harden. I was, no, no, I, was I don't trust James. <laughs> I, I, I don't trust James, but I trust Ty. To put but isn't this the nice thing, though, about the Clippers is that James Harden really is like third, right? When you when you think about playoff time, he's going to be yeah. third on the on the pecking order. 
I, I have a question that it may seem like splitting hairs, but I, but for me, the Thunder, I don't trust, but I, I don't distrust, whereas there's some reasons that I distrust. Maybe not Anthony Edwards, but I think, I mean, it's... it's Towns, just and, say it. It's Towns, yeah, and 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 this is it's 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 unfair to him because there's nothing he can do in the regular. There's literally nothing, he and he was in the great season. in that Clippers yes. game. The Clippers yes. could not handle Carl Anthony Towns. This is actually one of the things that has stood out to me is that I, I think that that's a spot that they're going to have to figure out. What do you do when you've got a, a big who's mobile like that? Because Zoo is not up to that, and, and now there aren't a lot of them, right? Granted, but you know, what do you do in this in that situation? Uh, if you're the Clippers, I, I think probably in a seven game series, they handle it just fine. That's but it stood out reason, to me in that game. That's part of the reason why I think they're going to try to reconcile things with PJ Tucker. Um, in, in, in that sense, like I think that Minnesota game kind of opened their eyes a bit to some of that stuff. I just, one other thing, like I like Mark Dagnall. I think he's done a great job. I think he's, and I think he's a really, really good coach. I have a piece coming on the athletic soon and he's going to be, uh, in there as well with some other coaches, but again, playoffs got to see it from all of these guys. He's also untrusted in the playoffs because he hasn't done it yet. And I'm sorry, like I'm not just going to put blind faith in that in them until I see it from them doing this stuff in the playoffs. And like, hey, I'll be happy if they're in the conference finals, and and I, I have egg on my face. I'll be happy to because I love watching this team. Fun as hell, but I just don't know if they're. Uh, at that level yet but i think that's also why that race between the top four is so important because certain matchups work for some of these teams and certain don't and you want to try to kind of you don't want to sit there and try to manifest and and, and create the matchup yourself and tinker and if we drop this game hey you know it, it but it matters and it's something to pay attention to like the clippers wouldn't mind if somebody else knocks minnesota out so they don't have to worry about it you know I, I and think i think that's their deal yeah, the biggest one I think is just it, it, it's like oh, there's a lot of rock paper scissors, except that I think that we've kind of we talked about this last week. And by the way, uh, I think that we all agree that Bismack Biombo was a nice, great nice, pickup, nice pickup for for a Thunder for just this reason. But I think that sort of the uh, the Thunder Nuggets matchup is a is a really tough one for the Thunder in a in a playoff scenario. And uh, but any of the other matchups amongst those four, it's it's you know, the, the advantages kind of go back and forth. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Well, one of these teams may have to go through the Golden State Warriors to get to the second round. Calm down. So you know, I don't know, man. Warriors well. turning. Do, do you know how many teams? Do you know how many teams above five hundred they've beat on this little run? I don't. I listen. You take uh, your well, numbers. They, one, they've beat that. They've beaten one, and the and the Zombie Sixers twice. So do we count the Sixers like the game Embiid shouldn't have played and uh, and got hurt? And then without him, they beat them twice. And other than that, they've beaten one above 500 teams. So, Sounds to me like, like they beat some playoff teams, though. So, you know, I mean. Uh, beat, like, no, okay, it's, okay it, but I said know. they beat the teams they're supposed to. No, play, yes. But I mean, like, in front of you. like we did this with Cleveland. Like, <laughs> you, you know, they easy schedule. They did their job. Yeah, no, but it's I, I, I yes, they, they won the game. They should. But that that makes me want to pump the brake on. We're back. You know, I can't. So, so the uh, the against teams that are on pace for fifty plus wins. What do you think the Warriors' record is this year? Oh, forty percent sure winning percentage. Three and thirteen. All right, that's not very good. But yeah. they're playing much better now. Yeah. Yeah. How many of those with uh, Kaminga in the lineup? That's yeah, how many? How many of those were when Draymond was out? Because that's yeah. been a big thing there. Like they've been better since he's come in they've figured some stuff out. Andrew Wiggins has been better in the past few weeks. You've had Kaminga playing great ball like there's there's some of that stuff i mean some of that matter how many of that was with draymond out like in that situation like there's a lot of that stuff that we're so close mo mo is he's coming around i'm telling you by the time we get to the playoffs no man. i just stop it dave like i'm not going that far but like i'm just not gonna sit there and i mean you have to look at them you do as a dangerous team like you know like hey man that game against phoenix was great they've been in tons of close games which means like a, a a break here or there, and it's a different record. But they've yeah. been in like, like I don't know, like feels like all their games every night ends up in a clutch situation, which might not be good when it's a bad team, <laughs> but they're in it with good teams in that stuff at the end of the stretch too. So, yeah, they just don't they don't go away. Uh, as we wrap up, you guys got anything else? Uh, the Warriors have played thirty five clutch games this year, which is most in the league. That's yes. insane. Wow. Uh, you guys got anything else uh, as, as we close up shop for the week and head into All-Star? Uh, you guys doing anything fun during uh, your, your break? I will be on uh, a bunch of uh, NBA X spaces throughout All-Star weekend from uh, Friday and Saturday. And uh, I have an article dropping on Friday, so make sure you go read that. Go read Law Murray's piece on the Clippers uh, not being able to beat Minnesota. And Dave, I believe you put something. I wrote something this week. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't I know your hands in, work like that. Yeah, I jumped in with uh, with my guy Tim Cato. We talked a little bit about the PJ Washington edition and, and just some of the on court stuff. Like PJ Washington has been a good player in the NBA. The last couple seasons been weird for him, and you know we talked about whether or not you know he fits and 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 what I could see his role being if it everything hits. So uh, definitely go and check that out. And Seth. He writes stuff at The Athletic all the time. So everyone, just subscribe. Just You can follow us on the app. So every time we write or put out a podcast, you get an alert. So definitely go and do that. And subscribe by going to theathletic.com slash NBA show and signing up. For Seth Partnow and Moda Keel, I am Dave DeFore, and this has been Nerder, she wrote, on The Athletic NBA Show. <laughs>